0: KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: I'm Joe Morgan the film critic of The Wall Street Journal. The movie version of Sex in the City captures the way TV used to be. Before cable and before the advent of groundbreaking shows like Sex in the City that pushed, ripped, and shredded the envelope of episodic entertainment, it's fitfully enjoyable, maybe better than that for those who love the series and have been waiting eagerly for more. Unlike the series, though, which was quick-witted, fast-paced, and self-ironic, oh, and sexy, the movie is earnest, often aimless, couldn't anyone cook up a plot, visually bland, except for the fashion shows, and at two minutes short of two and a half hours, a pretty punishing meander, here's one helping of more that manages to be less— that's not to say the story scants the show's L words, labels, and love. The designer labels come first and furious. What's his name's pointy shoes, what's their name's gorgeous dresses, bridal regalia, stylish accessories, and smashing hats. In one of the film's few moments of cheerful, unforced carnality, Samantha, smitten by the sight of a hunky beachfront neighbor, plays Malibu peekaboo behind her floppy, parasol-sized sombrero. As for love, it's what all four women have been seeking, but the dramatic engine of the series was the blood-racing conflict between love and sex, while the movie is animated, barely, by the heart-string-tugging conflict between love and no love. I won't say who ends up where or how long the story stalls on the Mexican Riviera, but I will say that three of the four outcomes would not have been shockers in Eisenhower-era sitcoms. The film was written and directed by Michael Patrick King. He was an award-winning writer, producer, and director on the show. Yet the storytelling sensibility has changed, sometimes subtly, sometimes radically. The city was once a fantasy vision shared by four insiders. Now it's become a tourist attraction. It doesn't help that Samantha shuttles back and forth between coasts. Topical zingers once crackled from the TV screen like static electricity. Lines like, Samantha had the sort of self-deluded self-confidence that caused men like Ross Perot to run for president. They've given way to bland remarks on familiar topics. So this is where they keep the light, Chris Noth says, as Carrie and Mr. Big on an apartment hunting tour check out a sun-splashed penthouse. Or to High Sud's banalities, as when one heroine cries, you broke us, what we had is broken. Jennifer Hudson plays a new character, a young woman named Louise from St. Louis, who lusts after Louis Vuitton. She shows up at a bad time in Carrie's life as an eager assistant who knows little about New York but understands the value of love. St. Louise, Carrie finally tells her gratefully, you brought me back to life. Well, that's true enough, as far as it goes. When Louise arrives, Carrie is so depressed that the light level in her bedroom has plummeted to godfather levels. By the time she leaves, Carrie is getting a grip on a crucial aspect of her life, yes, him, that was slipping away. And there's life around her, even if it's short on surprises Charlotte's domesticity, Miranda's prickliness, Samantha's lust The problem is that there's been an altitude adjustment Fewer stilettos, more flats Ask what women want in a chick flick And one answer may be this A pleasant reunion with cherished friends Ask what women deserve And the answer is better I'm Joe Morgan Stern, the Wall Street Journal's film critic. I'll be back on KCRW next week with more reviews.
0: KCRW sponsors include Make It Universal and Rotten Tomatoes, presenting Scene on the Screen with Jacqueline Coley, a new podcast about the people at NBC Universal and the movies that define them. Available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.